You are listening to the City Church Pastors Podcast. This is episode number 151. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to this week's Pastors Podcast. I'm here with Nate. Hi. And Zach. Hi. And Joel. Hello, hello. All right. This week, we're going to be doing a Q&A uh, to where we have um, got a lot of questions uh, through the submission page on, on the website of questions, and we're going to be working through those and uh, taking a few minutes to do that. So why don't we go ahead and get started? So, uh, Joel, I'll start with you, and we'll just go around and, and kind of take turns with some of these questions. So, Joel, I'll, I'll swing it to you. You take take the first one. Yeah, and obviously feel free to chime in on any of these. Um, but the first question we have is, what does it mean uh, when John four twenty four says, we must worship God in spirit and in truth? Um, so it, that's a pretty loaded passage. I'm not going to be able to... Um, unpack everything that there. There's a lot going on. But in short, um, this is when Jesus is speaking to the uh, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And just before Jesus says that, um, the, the woman asks him basically who's right. Are the Samaritans right in worshiping on this mountain in the way that they worship uh, God? Or are the, are the Jewish people right in the way that they're worshiping? And basically Jesus' answer to it is, it is so. It, it is about so much more than just your outward actions, but that it's it's something. Um, worshiping God is about uh, not only the outward actions, but the inside. Uh, to to it's worship is happening from the inside out. Um, to give a very very basic answer to that question, I think it's that there is uh, more to worship than just the outward actions. I think of. Uh, in the book of Isaiah, when God says that uh, people draw near to me but and, and praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Uh, I think it's kind of getting at that, that it's not just the outward actions, but it's the inward realities of what they feel, what they think, what they believe about who God is. Yeah, I think it's a helpful answer just because I think it pushes back against two faults that a lot of times Christians find themselves. One is just thinking everything's just external. We're doing the right things. Everything looks right. And the other one is strictly based upon emotions, feelings, things like that. And Jesus mm-hmm. is saying, look, if, if you don't have both of those things, uh, it is, it's not actually true biblical worship. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, just to add to that, uh, thinking about that passage in John 4 where the woman is saying, you know, we say this and mm-hmm. you guys say that. And I think one of the things Jesus is saying too is like, Joel, right along with what you're saying, is that uh, true worship reckons with who God actually is. When Jesus is saying, like, God is talking to you right now. <laughs> he actually and says in the following, following verse, God is, God is spirit. So yeah, it's like you're, you're talking about these things like, here I am <laughs> yeah. right here. Right. And I think it's right. really a good word for, like, today's climate and culture where everybody talks about God. And Christianity begins with the idea that God speaks for himself. Mm-hmm. You don't get to make him up. You don't get to daydream about him. He yeah. is who he is. Right. Good. Okay, good. Thanks, Joel. Uh, Nate, why don't you read us uh, the question? one of the questions you have? Yeah, so I have a question here. How is the commandment not to kill reconciled with Israel's war in the promised land? Are the Ten Commandments applied in a sense of how Israel is to conduct themselves internally? Uh, So that's a good question in terms of getting us to understand how uh, when we're reading through the scriptures, we need to find our place and know where we are in God's interaction with his people. Um, that we're always bridging the gap from original writer and an original audience to us today. And so, especially when we're reading um, in the Old Testament of uh, God giving his law, uh, we need to understand that he's giving his law to Israel to be a theocracy, to be uh, an outpost or a glimpse of, of God's ruling in God's place through 
uh, God's king. Can you and define so, theocracy? Uh, a government set up by God for God, uh, that it's not a democracy, but a mm. theocracy. So, so even the Ten Commandments are probably the, one of the most universal glimpses into the Old Testament law, but even that is within that context. So within the Old Testament itself, uh, it's not just saying do not kill, but do not murder. Um, but right after that, uh, the law goes into animal sacrifice, which is killing. Uh, there are punishments up to death for capital crimes uh, in Israel. And Israel, uh, God uses as kind of a venue or vehicle for his judgment of the Canaanites. Uh, so the conquest isn't easy reading in any sense and is horrific at times in other senses. It's very violent. It's very uh, vivid. Um, but it is a part of God's redemptive history to put God's people in God's place and to, to judge the what kind of the, the Pentateuch describes as the building uh, iniquity of the Canaanites. So there's a lot going on there. So I guess there's, that's a bit of the long answer. But I guess the short answer is that God's commandment not to murder can be reconciled uh, with, with war in the Old Testament. Uh, but whatever we, we make of these things of murdering and just war and being a pacifist or believing, like these are very complicated things that, that merit further discussions. Yeah. Wait, good. Yeah, I think it's a, just encourage if you have more questions about even just war, there's a lot of information uh, out there. There's a lot of writings and things that you can Some find. good, some bad. Yeah, some yeah. good, some bad. But that's it's something that the church has thought about for hundreds and hundreds of years of trying to wrestle with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, question of just war. So, uh, okay, thanks, Zach. Uh, you gonna go with the next question? Yeah, I have a question here that says, uh, "What factor or factors led the pastors uh, to have the desire to plant in Cleveland uh, versus other places, and uh, what leads lay pastors uh, to decide to commit to the church in this in this city versus pursuing other uh, opportunities?" Uh, a couple of things for context here. The first is if you're unfamiliar. When we uh, ask a guy to consider being a lay pastor uh, here at City Church, we ask for a three-year commitment to mm-hmm. Cleveland, and and mostly that's for really two reasons. One is it's a lot, we invest a lot in a guy when we're training him to be a pastor, and uh, that's time and energy that that we need to make sure has a return uh, for City Church. But then also, uh, it just wouldn't be good for the church to have pastors coming and going uh, frequently. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, we want a, when a guy becomes a pastor for him to give three years before he considers any other opportunities or anything like that. So it's a huge commitment for these guys because they don't know what the future holds. They don't know what jobs are going to be offered, promotions, uh, et cetera, and they are committing uh, anyways. Uh, if you asking what leads them to do that, I really would encourage you to, to ask them. I think they would best speak for themselves. I'm sure there are some obvious things. Obviously, they love the church and love what God's doing here, but to give more nuanced answers, I know any one of them would be more than happy to talk about it with mm-hmm. you, so I'd encourage you to reach out to, to one of them. Uh, in terms of what led uh, me to to come uh, plant in Cleveland, Amy and I, uh, I think uh, in some ways uh, uh, it had nothing to do with Cleveland, and then in some ways it had everything to do with Cleveland. When Amy and I started praying about church planting, we put together kind of a profile of the type of place that, that we felt like it would make the most sense for us to plan in based on who we were and, and kind of the people we thought we could best resonate with. And uh, the profile of the place that we created uh, didn't fit with Cleveland as a whole. It fit with University Circle and Cleveland Heights. And so that was one of the areas on our list. Uh, when we came here to visit, 
it was really realizing that at the time in University Circle and in Cleveland Heights, there just really wasn't much of a gospel presence. So it's almost like uh, the the profile got us to consider this place, but then coming here and kind of being brokenhearted over the state of things is really what led us to, mm-hmm. to come here. I've told the story a million times, but we were at the Visitor Center in University Circle, and we asked the lady working there uh, where the nearest evangelical church uh, was. And she said, what do you mean? And we said, we're just looking for a church that will say the Bible is true and that Jesus is the way to heaven. And she laughed and said, nobody believes that here. Gave us a list of 10 churches, said you can go to any of these churches, but none of them are going to tell you that. And uh, that was uh, about two months before we moved here. So Mm -hmm. it was like in that conversation, Amy and I said, boy, uh, there really needs to be a better answer uh, in Mm -hmm. this area uh, than that. And that's what led us here. And I think somewhat that's just a conversation about we believed if you said what really led us to Cleveland, I'd say Matthew 28, <laughs> go and make disciples. And, mm-hmm. and that great, the Great Commission fleshed out in our lives based on who we were resulted in uh, church planting being our, our consideration. And then the need of Cleveland resulted in us coming here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if, if the question is also getting at what led us to continue to plant in Cleveland, uh, seeing new parishes in Cleveland as opposed to more regionally or, or elsewhere, uh, I think it's important to say that God is doing a lot of amazing things around the world, but we need to do what we believe God has put before us. Now, that's pretty subjective. Uh, that's not uh, looking for a sign or putting out a fleece, but it's more saying there are a lot of good things that we could be doing, but we want to focus on on, on one, uh, on being in one place at one time and being fully here. So, so to plant more parishes in Cleveland is not to say anything about any other region but it's to say this is what's in front of us and where we want to contribute to the kingdom, that other people can do other thing, good things. Some of them are our global partners that we're very connected with, but saying uh, that we're drawing a line, not between what God is in here and not in there, but saying this is what, what we believe is in front of us mm-hmm. uh, to plant in Cleveland. Yes, yeah, good. It's well said. Yeah, personally, I think for, for me, if we're, if we're all answering this just quickly, um, I lived in the, in that context for four years while I was in school. The uh, university was, circle that, that context. Con- yeah, forgive me. I, I you were driving a ways right. to go to church. Right. And, Forty-five yeah. minutes to go to go to a church that um, I felt like aligned with with where I was at. Um, and in uh, just I think between Allison and I, uh, praying and, and fasting and uh, f- just dedicating a lot of time to considering that that's where we we felt like we were being. Uh, led to that there was a, a genuine sense of of God changing our hearts about the city um, It was never it was neither mine or Allison's plan to stay here after I graduated from the Cleveland Student Music um, But that you know, even just it's, it's helpful to have a journal so I can I could look back at that summer and just see how my heart started changing and really felt the burden of the fact that I was driving so far away outside of the city um, to, to go to church. So that's what, that's, that's how we ended up being. And, and just a genuine sense of, of thinking that Cleveland really is God's land. <laughs> it's, this is, this is the city. It is the like, land. We love it. Yes, yeah. we love when it. you read about it in the Old Testament. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, and, I, and we need more people who are going to say, I'm going to be here for the long haul. Hmm. Uh, you never know what tomorrow holds. You can't say, I will be here with, no matter what the rest of my life. But we need people to commit uh, to say that they're going to uh, be a part of what God is doing in this city for Lord willing, decades, yeah. uh, despite career opportunity or things that open up in other yeah. places to say, yeah. I'm here. I think the key is uh, just not to get too preachy with it, but the key is to live where you live with intentionality, not let where you live be something that happens to you, that's dictated to you by what job opportunity came up or, or, or anything like that, but to say, I'm, I live where I live 
for a reason, for a purpose. And I, I think the people who end up sticking in Cleveland and sometimes the people who leave, uh, but, but the people who stick, the commonality is, is that that's what they've bought into. Less Cleveland and more saying why I'm in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I remember, Corey, when I called you, it was like, uh, come plan a church with me. And, and you said, okay. And I said, don't you need to visit Cleveland? And you said, no. Because for you, it was the church. It was like, right. I believe in the church we're going to build. The city it's in is the city it's in. Yeah. No, and I know, I know I, I'm on one end of the spectrum. <laughs> How I uh, use my emotions and things to, to uh, uh, not interfere with those, with those things. I think the Lord works in, he, he, he works at where we're at. But yeah, we had not visited Cleveland. I didn't know a whole lot about Cleveland. I grew up in Mississippi. Mississippi has a a bad reputation outside of Mississippi. I knew that <laughs> Cleveland had a bad reputation outside of Cleveland. Uh, and I remember coming here after we had already decided to come here, uh, thinking, oh, this city's not so bad. <laughs> it's actually a pretty neat, neat place. And, and that has only continued to, our love for Cleveland has only continued to increase. But but it was a situation to where we knew we, um, I worked well with Zach, our families were great friends. I wanted to be a part of a church in an area that needed a church reaching the type of people that this church is reaching. And uh, so in that sense, it was it was kind of a very intellectual decision. So, um, but yeah, we're, we're glad we're here. And, and that's this, the, this conversation actually leads into, I think one of the other questions that you have, Zach, about yeah. people even considering yeah. like so the next parish. This question is more on the member level, but what is the proper way to pray or engage in the opportunity to join the next church plant? Uh, how do you weigh or value the factors of current community availability to move, work locations, et cetera. Uh, I think this is the way I would answer that. I mean, this is obviously a very broad question and it, and it changes based on who you're talking to. But I think what I think is healthy is that every time we plan a parish, if every member says kind of, why would I not go, right? Why, why would I not go to North Collinwood? Uh, now, some people will have good answers to that. They really will. Some people will have good, uh, solid answers to that. But I think some of us have to be open to the fact that we, we won't have good answers to that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it needs to feel, we need to f- feel individually and together a sense of ownership of saying, as Nate were saying, that this is what God has put before us to plant churches, uh, parishes all over Cleveland. And so what that's going to take is people going. And I, if I believe in the mission, I have to be willing to say uh, that may mean me. And actually start with the question, why wouldn't I, instead of why would I? Um, because I think if you say, why would I, when you're talking about something that doesn't exist, it's easy to talk yourself out of it. But if you're saying, why wouldn't I, I think you're saying, I believe this, I value this, so I'm going to need to have some really good reasons for saying no. And you probably Yeah, I think just from experience, here. you know, we are just over nine months into planting. I think as you consider that too, pray about how you might not only just start attending somewhere different or even potentially move to a different neighborhood, but how you can help shoulder the burden that it is about picking up the mission to make Jesus famous in a new neighborhood, uh, that you would, uh, not just kind of shift your attendance, but that you would be praying for that neighborhood that you'd be, uh, serving once, once the church is planted there, that you would be really like carrying the load together. I think that's, that's what's most helpful is not just could I be convinced to move there or to start attending there? But how can I actually be a, a substantive part of it mm-hmm. uh, day one onward? Because uh, it is, it's one thing to say that we came with X amount of members who moved uh, or lived on the West Side. But it's another thing to look at people who are in it together, mm-hmm. uh, kind of through thick and thin. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I think also too, just like 
I love the idea of every member having to to struggle with it. I think that's great. Actually, I was talking to Jason recently, uh, Bellers, our church planting resident, um, who mentioned that that he was asking a member if he would consider, and he says we've been considering since you since you came wherever you were gonna like he, since Jason and, and his wife Jen showed up. Um, this member and his wife had been considering, had been praying already since they showed up. And I just love the heart behind that. I think that's, that's awesome. I think it's also important to, to note too, just even though, you know, like Ohio city, it's already been planted. It's already, it's been, been in existence for nine months to not just say, okay, well now we're on to the next one, but to keep wrestling, like, well, maybe it's nine months in, maybe now's a great time for people to move into Ohio city. It would be. be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. But. Yeah, good. Okay, good answer. Uh, I have a question here. Uh, this is a question that kind of summarizing in here, basically saying, how do we treat each other knowing that one, we are created in the image of God. So because of that we have value and worth, but then also uh, we know that we are sinners and sinners who deserve God's judgment. So in, in some ways, how do you reconcile the, those two things? Uh, I think it's, a, it's a good question. Uh, I think I would answer it in some ways that I would answer a lot of questions is that that sometimes we we can take one aspect of what the Bible is teaching and kind of run with it in a direction uh, without considering what else uh, the Bible teaches. So, you know, that could be something like, you know, God's sovereignty and human freedom. And there's so many truths that uh, are just, you can't give one verse uh, to kind of summarize that, that the, the, the scriptures force uh, in some ways a little bit of attention. So the reality is that we are created in the image of God. Uh, we are the glory of creation. Uh, the scriptures are, are, are clear in that, that there is something unique about human beings. That's not true about the rest of, of God's creation. And because of that, uh, human life is valuable. Uh, it's important. Uh, it doesn't matter what type of life it is. It can be the most evil person you can ever imagine. Uh, but that, that life is valuable in the eyes of God because it is a human being who bears the image of God. Uh, and at the same time, uh, we are men and women who, who rebel against God. Uh, we have rebelled against God. We are rebelling, and we will continue to, to have sin in our hearts and, and seek to establish ourselves as God. Uh, and so I think, I think the, the tension there, or, or the way you handle that, is that you kind of you embrace both of those things so that when you're interacting w- with people, uh, it doesn't matter if you agree with them. It doesn't matter if they are a vile person. Uh, you treat them with respect. Uh, you treat them uh, with love, uh, compassion. Uh, but that doesn't mean you can't be honest about, you know, someone's actions. So for, you know, I think about my own, li- my own life. I know that I am loved by God. Uh, God has demonstrated His love for me in what Christ has done on the cross. But also I know that I do some, you know, sinful things. Uh, and I have sinful thoughts. Uh, and the way to keep from being crushed by that is being reminded of God's love for his people uh, in the cross in Christ um, and stuff. So I don't know, that's kind of a, mm-hmm. a broad thing, but I don't know if you guys have anything to, to add to that. Maybe No, I think that's advice. helpful that those things are kept in tension. I think uh, it's not a coincidence that those are the opening pages of Genesis, that you have that all people are made in God's image, uh, but then you have that all people are under the sway of the fall. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's only attention that has to be kept but i think we need it to just make sense of the world like mm-hmm. i don't know how you can process the world around us if you don't have at least from a christian viewpoint both of these uh truths before you like 
if you see someone do something absolutely beautiful and life-giving, well, that's because they're made in the image of God. They have the capacity mm-hmm. to do that, uh, Christian or non-Christian. But if you see some, someone do something absolutely horrendous uh, and absolutely destructive, that's because we're, we are fallen. That uh, image of God is, is tainted and tarnished. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't think it's only a tension that we have to keep, but I think it's a tension that we need to make sense of both the brightest spots of our world and the mm-hmm. darkest spots of our world. Um, and then I have a question that's actually similar as it uh, gets to the fall. I don't know if there are any other thoughts. I would to just say one on thing, that. yeah, quickly before you do that, that um, thinking horizontally in terms of how I think the question was aiming at how, how you relate to others. And I would just be mindful of the fact that they are under God's judgment and not your judgment that that's uh that that's not um that we are all under god's judgment uh and so whatever it looks like i I hope i'm getting at the heart of the question i i I think that's what they were asking is just like how do i view other people uh between those two realities and saying yes that there are things that are beautiful and true because they're made in the image of god but they're under god's judgment not your judgment does that make sense yeah i think maybe one add one more piece of practical advice um you know, I think our, our current American discourse reveals this, that, that for the most part, people don't know how to talk to each other when they disagree. Yeah. And I think this is an opportunity for Christians to, one, model how to interact with people that, that you have profound disagreements with, mm-hmm. that you, you can disagree in kindness and charity, that you want to give the best representation mm-hmm. of your opponent's argument. Uh, you want to engage with them in patience and kindness. Uh, and also being honest about where you're wrong and mistakes that you made, mm-hmm. you know, that, that there's an unwillingness by so many just to admit right. their own faults. And where Christians say, look, I'm not perfect. I, I need Jesus. Uh, and I'm trying to wrestle with these things and, and find answers that are in line with, mm-hmm. you know, what Jesus would have us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. so I, I hear you, Corey, saying maybe we have a propensity to find the image of God in ourselves yes. and the fallenness yes. of humanity and others. Yeah. And maybe we need to flip that yeah, Particularly I think we're going to see yeah. the dignity yeah. of an image bearer yeah. in another mm-hmm. and to see our own faults and failures yeah. in mm-hmm. our, our and own And I think lives. that's a good way of doing it. I think when we do that, actually a lot of people don't know how to respond. Mm. Yeah. Like, Cause you can Whoa. admit you're wrong and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. find value in someone right. who's yeah. deemed an other, right. uh, all sorts of things. So my question uh, that someone submitted was, how do you feel that competition is the result of the fall? How would we embrace or engage competitions or contests as agents of restoration? So I think I'm thinking of a competitive environment, maybe a work environment or an athletic competition. And is this inherently fallen uh, or is this a part of God's good creation? I think because both of those are set out in the opening chapters of Genesis, uh, I don't know if you can put following events in the Bible, much less following events in our lives, into one of both of those categories. Yeah. I mean, you have Lot, who was a pretty despicable character immediately after those chapters, but they're also building cities and cultures. So it's kind of a mixed bag from there on out. I think uh, competition can be something that brings out the best in us, that we want to strive to be stronger or better at something, uh, or it is something that can foster our own pride, uh, our own sense of wanting to uh, dominate or exploit somebody else to feel better about ourselves because we're better than that person. So I, I think it's probably much more about your heart in competition. Yeah. Like if I'm in a competitive work environment that pushes all of us to be better or uh, is in a way that promotes 
goodness or truth or beauty or justice in the world, then I would say that, I mean, it's an often used phrase, but it's healthy competition. But if it's a way that I'm trying to shame another person or put somebody else in their place or build my identity and self-worth on, on kind of where I am at in that ladder, whether mm. it be a corporate ladder or in a sports bracket yeah. or whatever, uh, then I think competition yeah. probably is eliciting more of the symptoms of the fall than the image of God. Yeah. So a practical question, if the fall did not happen, would you have the regret that you're not as good looking as I am? <laughs> Had the fall not happened, you wouldn't have asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would just add the word hatred into what you just said. Just like, I think, I think that's a helpful word in, in terms of differentiating between healthy and not healthy. I think there is this sense of, of hatred and even just thinking about Christ's words of, of hatred actually being like murder uh, that I can think of times in my life where competition has led to me literally hating the other and, and wanting yeah. to completely tear them apart. Um, and even, you know, if it's something as, as stupid as like the NBA finals or something, it's real, it's, it's, it's real. Uh, <laughs> it is very difficult to not just, uh, demonize these characters that I think are completely against everything that is true and beautiful and good. Like but some of Cleveland, some but of they them really are. are. Yeah. Yeah. Really right. are. yeah. Right. yeah no, I right. think that brings a good point. Like, could you, in a, in a, in a very strong competition where you're, you're not being like Christian Ned Flanders about it. Like you're really competing with somebody. Could you pray for them in that moment? Mm. Could you love your enemy? Yep. Uh, if so, then you're probably competing in a healthy way. And if not, you're probably moving in, in some more more hatred-type mm. categories. Good. Well, I appreciate you guys uh, helping with, with the questions here. Good answers. Hopefully they were helpful uh, to those uh, who have asked. And for those who are listening, uh, hopefully they are, are helpful. Uh, a couple of things, uh, logistical things to make you aware of. Uh, Joel, this is what, the 151st podcast? Mm -hmm. So 151st podcast. So we've been doing a podcast for every week for about three years, almost three <laughs> years. Uh, so we are going to take a month off. Uh, so there'll be no podcast in the month of July. Uh, and we're going to regroup and uh, we'll, we'll be developing some content for the fall. Uh, so a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, during the month of July, take advantage of listening to some past podcasts. You can go to the pastor's podcast page at citychurchcle.com. Go to the pastor's podcast page and see uh, some of the other podcasts we've done in the past. Also, if there are particular issues or topics that you would love for us to do a series on our address, uh, then you can also go to that page and submit that on, on the, on the, uh, on the web page there. Uh, and we'll be happy to consider that, uh, as we, as we work through and begin to prepare for the fall. So, uh, as always, we are thankful for you listening, uh, and we hope that's helpful and beneficial and I appreciate your, your, uh, your listening and participating with us. And so uh, as always, thanks for listening and have a great week. Thank you.